not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Let's pray together. God, thank you for this time, for the chance to hear from you, uh, these words not being mere human words, but the very voice of God, as we talked about last week. And that being the case, we pray that you would give us ears to hear you. Uh, We pray that you would penetrate our hearts, and we pray that you would also, uh, by your spirit, roam into our lives and address whatever you need to address What we maybe need most right now is the right posture, humbly saying, God, teach us and speak uh, good news to us and speak truth to us, uh, whatever that might be, whatever that might sound like. Uh, So we want to receive from you and hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in the middle of a series that we're calling Growing by Grace, and it's just a, a time where we're trying to focus on This idea of growing spiritually, uh, just like we grow physically and just like we grow in other ways as people, this reality of spiritual growth that God grants us. And what we're talking about are just different tools and ingredients that God gives us to help us to grow. How do we grapple with them? How do we use them? How do we apply them into our lives? Last week, we talked about the Bible, Scripture itself. How do we grow listening to and, and engaging with the Word of God And today we're going to be talking a little bit about prayer. The truth is, of course, the best way that you learn about prayer is not by talking about it or analyzing it. It's actually by doing it, by going out and doing it individually and with other people and sort of getting it into your life and experiencing God in Prayer, of course, as we talk about this, I'm not assuming that you do pray. I'm not assuming that you're even on board with the idea of prayer. We love having a group of people that are coming from various backgrounds. But I do hope this time is helpful for you, especially because I know a lot of us have questions, maybe even hesitations, about prayer. 
took a second this week to just jot down some of mine and some that I've heard from some of you as I've talked to you about prayer, even just over the last couple of months. Questions like, well, isn't it just weird to try to talk to somebody that you don't even see? Or what if I struggle to find time to pray? Is that okay? Is that not okay? How am I supposed to pray? Does it matter what I say or how I say it? Or this question, if God is in control of all things, do my prayers really even change anything? Does praying really make a difference in my life, in other people's lives, in the world? Or what does it mean when God doesn't seem to be answering my prayers? Is he ignoring me? Am I just talking out into the black abyss with no response? What is going on? We're not going to be able to answer every one of those questions. We can touch on them in our Q&A time which we're going to have in just a few minutes. But this passage does help us out with prayer in several ways. It's a passage that comes from what is called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is preaching, teaching about life in the kingdom. In other words, what starts to happen when you really start to live, what starts to happen practically in daily life when you really start to live like God is real and God is present? What starts to happen in life when you start to believe and live as if God really is renovating the world by his kingly presence. That God really has come to change all things and make all things new. What happens? Well, one of the things that happens, Jesus tells us, is you start to pray. After all, prayer in its most simple form is talking with God as if he really is alive. And asking him to do things, believing that he really can do them. And that he really is near enough and in touch with real life enough that he will be on the move. And that he is kind enough and good enough and concerned enough and loving enough that he actually will do and will respond to you and the desires of your heart. Well, Jesus goes straight off to our weaknesses, right? He kindly just points out different ways here in this passage, ways in which we tend to make prayer into a twisted thing, or we tend to do it a little bit wrongly. In other words, he talks to us in the beginning of this passage about the way we tend to approach prayer as performance. The way we tend to approach prayer as performance. Verse 5, when you pray, Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites, For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. He's talking, of course, about this idea of praying as performing for other people. This sort of self-consciousness or maybe this active desire to attract people's attention upon yourself to show that you are praying. He describes such people as hypocrites. This actually comes from a word that was used in the Greek theater in the ancient world. Literally, it's an actor, a mask wearer. When we pray so that others will see us praying, praying to seek to impress those around us, maybe long, maybe loud, maybe sounding good, maybe 
to appear super spiritual, trying to win points with other people, not to talk with God, not to engage in relationship, not to be with him in quiet and in secret, as Jesus talks about in the following verses, but rather to attract attention to yourself or wishing you could. Because maybe you don't feel like you're that impressive in your prayers, but you darn wish you could be impressive. And so the longings of your heart is to use prayer as performance. And ain't that the story of a lot of our lives? It is for me. Man, I am such a self-conscious person. I'm self-conscious in all of life. And so, of course, it shows up in this area of prayer. Just years and years. And I'm not by any means an expert in prayer. I'm growing together with you. But just struggling and by God's grace, slowly growing and really being able to get over, you know, those early nerves or wondering what people are thinking. Or when you start to realize that you're praying differently when it's just you and God than how you pray when other people are around. I mean, one of the cues that Jesus gives us to know that you're not just praying as performance for others. He says, are you doing it in private? Because if you only pray when other people are looking on and you only pray or you only engage with God or you do anything spiritual for that matter only when people are looking, then you know you don't got the reality on the inside. You're only as spiritually mature as you are in private and in secret. That's the test that Jesus gives us. The second way he says we tend to perform is using prayer, not just performing for others, but as a way of performing for God. Verse 7, when you pray, don't keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them. Jesus is talking about the ways that we use prayer to seek to impress God. Again, with many words, with long words, maybe with an emotional intensity, or theological accuracy. Maybe that's the thing that's locking you up. Or maybe a fearfulness that you're going to pray wrong. Jesus is talking about us striving and feeling like we have to give God more and more and more. Otherwise, he's not going to listen to us. And so we start to say to ourselves, because I've prayed long, or because I've prayed hard, or because I've prayed the right way, now, God, you owe me an answer. In other words, the way that we use prayer itself to try to bargain with God or even bribe God, getting him to do things for us. In other words, this way of performing for God really is a way to manipulate, use, and control God. Jesus gives us better news. God's okay with simple prayers, humble prayers. Non-impressive prayers. Friends, would you, would you hear this? You don't need to impress God for him to hear you. And in fact, you don't need to pray to make God love you more. Jesus tells us you pray because you know God loves you and can't love you any more than he already does. Prayer is birthed out of a sense of God's love, a confidence in God's love for you, not as a way to earn or to merit God's love and blessing for you. Which brings us to the central idea that Jesus is communicating here. 
the love of God in prayer. And it's this, it's this, that our prayers reflect our view of God. How we pray, whether or not we pray, what we say, what we feel, whether we expect a response from God, what we do in our prayers, including a lack of a desire to pray, always reflects who we think God is and how he relates to us. If you think God is scary, why are you going to spend time with him? If you think God only yells at you, why do you want to talk to him? If you think God is far away and doesn't care, why are you going to knock on his door? Right? Your view of God himself will be reflected in the way that you pray and come and try to talk to him. And so this is what Jesus says. Do you know that in Jesus you have in God a father? You have a heavenly father. This is the dominant portrait of God that shapes Jesus' thinking here on prayer, chapter 6. We see this a couple times. The first part of the verse, pray to what? Your father. Second half of the verse, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 8, your father knows what you need. Verse 9, this then is how you should pray our father in heaven. Chapter 7, verse 11, how much more will who? Your father in heaven. Give good gifts to those who ask him. I think Jesus is trying to communicate a point by repeating again and again who God is. Now, some of you might instinctively react against this idea of God being a father. I understand that. Maybe you had bad experiences with your own father or fathers. Maybe a dad who was distant or dad who was absent, or maybe even a dad who was abusive. And I know that can make it tough to grapple with this idea of God offering himself to you as a father, but it's also a word of hope that there can be a new daddy in your life, one that you've never had. That he can redeem your experience of fatherhood, and that includes you dads out there redeeming your practice of fatherhood as well for your children. It's one of the greatest gospel realities and promises, this story of the Bible, that through Jesus, your creator has become your father. A radical message that legally and emotionally and relationally that you are now a child. Not in a general, abstract, vague sort of way in which we'd like to say all people are God's children. In some sense, the Bible does recognize that. But this is a special, unique, legal relationship that was blood-bought by the cross of Jesus Christ. Through God's unique son, Jesus, by embracing him as the one who died in your place and lived in your place, that you enter God's family now as an adopted child. And now here's the promise, the promise of all promises in our sonship, that now you are loved by God, by the father, just as much as he loves his unique son, Jesus. Can it be? Here's the gospel, friends. Not just that you're forgiven of the wrongs that you do like a freed criminal in court. 
And not just that you're reconciled as a friend that's injured or harmed another person, not a criminal, but a friend who has been forgiven and cared for. But a child who gets to sit on the lap of his father in might and strength and affection. God's commitment to you as a parent to love you in strength and gentleness. This is the promise of the Christian gospel. And we're told this is how we're to approach God when we pray. Jesus is inviting us to pray as a child. And to speak to God as children speak and as children act. What does that look like? couple quick things. First of all, what does it look like to pray like a child? First of all, a child isn't afraid to be needy. Children don't pretend. Children don't pretend to be self-sufficient. Children don't pretend to have it all together, do they? Cry out for help. They look around, look for mommy and daddy. They cry when they have needs. Why? Can't fix it myself. I hear it every day at home. Kids aren't uncomfortable with needs in the ways that we are, and they are quite happy to be dependent upon parents. Jesus invites us to pray like a child in a way where we're not afraid and over time, by God's grace, not so uncomfortable with being needy. Because prayer is an act of grateful helplessness before God. To be able to come to God and say, I don't have it all together. I do need you more in my life. And I've got nowhere else to turn but to you. I'm helpless. But that can just drive you to despondency, right? Or to despair, if that's all you say. It's grateful helplessness. Why? Because you know your God has said to you, ask me anything. We heard it in those verses. A God who says, you're my child, I love you. I want to graciously care for you. It's grateful helplessness. It's a cry for help, which is exactly why a lot of us don't like to pray. Because we don't like to ask for help. Not to you, not to me, and certainly not to God. But here it is. Prayer is this act of shifting control from yourself to God in a way that puts us in uncomfortable positions sometimes. And that's why it's also true that we do need, yes, more self-discipline and structures and helps to grow in grace-motivated prayer. That is true. But friends, what you and I, every single one of us need, more than even that, what we most need is the humility to acknowledge and to embrace that we're weak. That we are resourceless in so many areas of life, not least in trying to have a relationship with God, which we cannot do but by the grace of God, embracing his gift to us in Jesus. What we most need is the humility of utter helplessness and the humility of confidence that God can help us. We tend to act not like children, though. We tend to pray sort of like what you might call spiritual orphans, self-sufficient, I've got everything under control, I can take care of myself, 
We don't pray because we think this way. Jesus invites us in the opposite direction. He says, pray like a child, pray needy. Secondly, children are not only not afraid to be needy, children are also very bold. Very bold. A child will ask for anything and everything. I want a pet giraffe. I want a pet giraffe. A child will ask again and again, please, please, or do it again. Do it again. This boldness, unashamed boldness to go at it again and again persistently for anything, everything, even big things, impossible things. Daddy, paint the sky blue. No, it's already blue. Paint it red. Paint it white. Make me grow taller. Impossible things. Kids do this. You know this. You know this. There's a very bold type of way of approaching God as a child that's full of confidence and expectation like a child that the parent actually wants to do what they ask and has unlimited ability to do what they ask. Trust in your generosity and in your power. Jesus says, pray to your heavenly father just like that. Do you believe that God is generous? Do you believe that God is able? I think we don't. I think we're fearful. I think this is part of what Jesus is getting at when he talks about the way in which we pray with many words, trying to heap on different ways to bribe God or twist his arm because we're nervous. We're fearful. We feel like if we don't do these spiritual gymnastics, we're not going to get God to listen or he's not going to respond. In other words, we don't believe what Jesus says, which is he's out in front of you, more generous than you can possibly imagine. He knows in advance what you need. He wants to give it to you if you would just ask. We doubt his generosity. We doubt his care. We're fearful that he's oblivious to our concerns. We are fearful that he's heartless. And yet here is Jesus and he says, no, 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 ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. And then he expounds a little bit on what he really means. The main point here. Ask why? Because God is so generous to give to his children. In verse 9. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if you ask for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to good gifts, good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, 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 good, give good gifts? Got it? To those who ask him. Late last night, uh, had the privilege of holding Elena in the middle of the night as she was crying and needing some attention. And of course, this sermon, this passage is on my mind, sitting there in the dark, and as she's slowly quieting down and was just thinking, I love this child. And she doesn't really know how to ask for much. So, you know, neither a snake nor a piece of bread or, or a stone or a fish or whatever. She's not quite there yet, but she knows how to cry. She knows how to get my attention. She knows how to express her needs the day will come when she'll be able to articulate them. She can express that 
And my goodness, don't I need to fight not to be there just in the the next second? Don't I want to quiet her in her crying, whether or not that's always the best thing for her? Don't I always want to hold her and soothe her? And doesn't it just give me so much joy like it did last night to see her eyes slowly close again and to see her cries cries turn from a whimper to a silent uh, breathing noise? quietly sleeping in my arms. Jesus says, look, man, if you're like that, what do you think God's like? If you and all your flawedness as a dad and all your limitations and all your self-centeredness, yeah, self-centered with my child all the time, if you still love her like that and want to give good gifts to her simply because She asked, nonverbal asking. How much more do you think your heavenly father will do? Not just that, but even more. We act like spiritual orphans again. We're fearful. We're cynical. Jesus invites us to pray like a child, boldly, expectantly, humbly, but loudly persistently thirdly a child children kids are not only not afraid to be needy they're not only bold but they also babble freely right not self-conscious again about what they're saying how they're saying it not trying to say it perfectly kids ramble talk Say whatever is on their mind. Blurt things out, sometimes even in inappropriate ways, right? Parents, you're sometimes embarrassed by that. We are. Jesus invites us to be like a child to come before your father and babble as an expression of your belief in the good news of Jesus Christ that your prayers are acceptable to the father, not because you're great, but because Jesus is great. Not because you've won and earned the acceptance of God, but because Jesus has for you and he's loved you enough to give it to you as a gift. And so you can bring broken prayers and imperfect expressions and weird words and a flawed heart. And you can ramble and babble and not have perfect prayers to add, to give to God. How often do we try to pray? And maybe you're brand new to this and you've just started to pray and you've just barely started to take steps, or maybe you've been praying for years and years and years, how often do we pray with so little freedom just to say what's on our hearts? Will you be like a child? Tell God how it is. Tell him how it really feels. Tell him what you think. Tell him what you really want. In childlike maturity, he may circle you back around and have you edit some of that stuff and train your heart and shape your desires and teach you to pray in a new and maybe even different sort of way. But to start, do you have the freedom of a child or do you get paralyzed by trying to get the prayer right? Or again, to try to impress God or to try to impress other people. Hear this, God loves your ugly prayers. He wants to hear them because he's got the ear of a daddy listening for the gurgling of his kids. We find in the book of Psalms so many examples of prayers where there's almost this, what you might think of as this holy stream of consciousness. Not always 
tightly organized. It's poetry, first of all, but it's also real prayers, which often meander and move from topic to topic, not always perfectly organized, and not always entirely safe. My goodness, if you've read the book of Psalms, how many times have you shaken your head and said, are you allowed to say that? The inspired word of God saying some risky things. Why? That's what praying like a child is like. Daring to almost say inappropriate things. Right, dads and moms? Right, friends? This is what kids do. This story of your adoption into the family of God and to have God as a father and praying to him means, will you, friends, pray with permission to let your mind wander a little bit, to ramble a little bit, to speak in sometimes nearly inappropriate ways, or at least to be bold in your expression, not editing yourself right away. And I might even say if every single prayer of yours has exactly the same content and exactly the same structure every time you come to God, you're probably not truly praying, or at least you're not praying to a real person. Or at least you're not praying to a heavenly father who frees you because he loves to hear your ugly rambling prayers. And he says, bring it to me. Bring yourself to me. Of course, it is true that Jesus does give us and teach us a pattern for prayer. We find in verses 9 through 13 what's often called the Lord's Prayer. And what he's given here is not suddenly a a formula that you need to find or discover or use that's now going to just quench out that flame of childlike praying. That's not what he's talking about. He's simply saying, look, even as a child, here are some themes and priorities a child of a father might pray to this God. So he's not meaning for it to be a straitjacket on your prayers, but he's saying, here's some stuff that you can take and run wild with as a kid delighting in their God and bringing their true selves and this truly broken world to their God. And so there are a couple elements that Jesus gives us here. First of all, he says, look, when you pray, bring some praises. Praise. Verse 9, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Tell God who he is and celebrate him. It's like a real relationship, right? You pay a person a compliment or you affirm who they are. This is not only thanking God for what he has done for us, it's also delighting in God simply for who he is. His character, his nature, who you've been coming to know. These are what you might call you are prayers. You are kind, God, or you've been so merciful, you are forgiving to me. You are just, even though there's brokenness in this world, and I don't know exactly what to do with it, God, but I know you are just. You're holy. You're so different from me. You're so patient. can't believe that you haven't thrown down the gauntlet and booted me out. You're so long-suffering in the way that you endure my weaknesses, my sins, my flaws. Adoring God, just you and God, sometimes in secret, in relationship. And the more we do this, the more you actually spend time saying thank you to God and loving God for who he is, the more we actually start to notice and see what God is actually doing around us. It's what I've found in my life. But not only praises, Jesus also invites us to pray over needs. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Daily bread. 
roofs over our heads, practical needs, ordinary, mundane stuff in life, where Jesus doesn't say, as I think we almost expect him to say, look, you're more spiritual than that. You don't really need food. All you need is God. You don't really need a house. You've got the church. You don't really need a job. You don't need these things. No, Jesus says, pray for it. It is highly spiritual to ask God for these mundane things. Why? Because it takes a lot of faith to believe that God is big enough to care about the details of your lives. I used to think in my life that the hardest thing for me to do was to pray these really big, massive prayers. What I started to learn was that the greatest test of faith for me was to pray about the little dumb things, the basic things, which I found in my life I wasn't doing a whole lot of. Stuck in traffic and praying for a different way, a detour to get through the roads. Or maybe a log jam at work, trying to push some work out, but having no wisdom or lacking the ability to do it, praying for God's help. Or maybe a relationship that things are just getting a little bit uncomfortable with and a little bit of tension that you just want God to unplug. And you ask God, can you help me to communicate well or to communicate humbly? Whatever it might be, the details of life, I used to think those things didn't matter. I now see that as the arena of the greatest faith that I can exercise. Do I believe that my heavenly father cares? And in fact, he is so big and so infinitely multitasking that he can care about my day and your 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 day and and meet all of those needs simultaneously. Do you believe in that God? Jesus says, ask him for stuff, for needs. Not only needs, but also confess your sins. Be real with him about your flaws, your temptations. He says, pray for the kingdom. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, don't just pray for yourself. Don't just use God as a vending machine or as a magical genie personally for yourself. It's not just about you. It's not just about asking for a more pain-free life. It's about asking for more of God in this world and in this situation and in this community and in this neighborhood. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Something larger than yourself. It's such a grand thing that a child will dare to pray for. My daddy is big. My daddy can do anything. I want everybody to see my daddy. That's the kingdom coming. That every part of life would become more and more a reflection of who God is, the God you're coming to know. In every part of life. That we're praying in that sort of way. Childlike prayers that can be guided by things like the Lord's Prayer. Not a straitjacket, but just guidance and themes that children can pray for. Let me finish with this thought. We're called to pray with freedom in our ugliness and our limitedness. We're called to pray boldly, to babble, to ask for big things, to ask for little things. We're called to pray lovingly as a child, and yet we know that our prayers really are flawed. Our prayers really are imperfect. Sometimes we don't know what to pray, and this here is the good news that the Apostle Paul gives in several places in Scripture, including Romans 8, this idea that God himself is always helping us to pray. You don't need to bring perfect prayers because God himself is praying within you, purifying your prayers. God himself is taking your prayers 
in whatever form you bring it to him, and he's doing a holy and spiritual supernatural work of interpreting them in a way that actually is helpful and pleasing to God. The Holy Spirit groaning and prompting and praying with us. This is the Spirit of Jesus living within us. Jesus himself, his spirit, the one who actually prayed perfectly like a child when he was here on earth. I mean, this is how Jesus prayed. He prayed needy. He would, from time to time in the course of his busy life, steal away into a quiet place, we're told, and pray. He said, I need to meet with my father. The Gospel of John, Jesus says this, Jesus, the son of God, saying, I can do nothing on my own. I only do what I see my father doing. The son of God, like a child before his father, needy. Or in Gethsemane, the night before he was killed, crucified. Jesus praying, take this cup from me. I don't want to die like this. I don't want to suffer the pain of hell like this. Talk about a messy prayer. Talk about a risky prayer, you might say. But very bold going straight to God, something massive, even addressing the very plan of redemption itself, this child, the Son of God before the Father, this Son, His Spirit in us, for us, showing us, enabling us to pray like Him as a child. Because that is what we are. Adopted freely by his grace, brought into his family. You have a father if you have Jesus. Do you pray like that? Do you pray to him? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for giving us maybe, just maybe, a new way of relating to you through prayer. We pray that you would be kind to us and showing us how to apply this, showing us how to live this out, showing us what to do with these truths. It's not just prayer that we're praying for. It's a new way of relating to you. It's a relationship that we're praying about, that we're learning about. So bring the good news of God's grace, your fatherhood, our sonship, to new powerful realities, new parts of our life today, even now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's soak in this a little bit by singing this song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us Let's remember that. Let's sing about it. Let's stand.